0: You're listening to Worldbuilding for Masochists.
1: And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves.
0: Because otherwise we'd have no good excuse for all those Google searches on medieval poisons. I'm Rowena Miller. I'm Alexandra Rowland.
1: I'm Marshall Ryan Moresca.
0: I'm
2: guest star Jen Lyons. And this is Episode 6, an interlude with spreadsheets. So in our previous episodes, we've been talking about elements of world building, getting you to the point where you like actually have a culture and people are talking to each other and like stories can happen. Um, so I think we've hit that point where we have just enough an inf- information um, and just enough that we know about our worlds so that things can start to get confusing. So we thought, let's take a quick break and talk about yep. how do you organize and keep track of your world building info?
3: And on that note, I had the brilliant idea, well, we collectively had the brilliant idea uh, that we should bring a expert on this, uh, one of the people we know who has done some of the most in-depth and detailed world building and also is very well known for her amazing ability to keep track of it all. Uh, Jen Lyons is here with us today. Yay! Yay! Hi, Jen. Yay! And the crowd went wild. And the crowd went wild. Jen has amazing wikis for, for her work. Uh, but why don't you just take a minute and sort of introduce yourself to the audience in
0: case anyone Somehow, doesn't know who you are. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sure many people do not know who I am. Uh, I am Jen Lyons, and uh, I think the most important thing that you need to know about me is that I am an absolute grade A nerd. Um, I really <laughs> enjoy writing massive fantasy stories, although I suppose it would probably be more accurate to say I really enjoy creating massive fantasy worlds until eventually I said, oh, I suppose I should probably do something with this, yeah, write a book ma- or something. Huge ma- <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm very familiar um, with all of this yeah. you're in the right place you, you're in good company so uh so yeah I'm
0: on the uh the second of five books is uh going to be coming out in October called The Name of All Things um and uh yeah I, I have a lot of detail to it so it's a lot to keep track of and you have
3: like giant dragons made of swords and like cool death cults and all sorts of, sorts of badass stuff in your world. So I'm sure
2: that we're going to get into a little bit of that as examples. So Jen, you said that you love kind of building massive, massive fantasy worlds for massive fantasy stories. Do you have any favorite elements of world building that you just really enjoy digging into?
0: Um, I think I really love challenging my own assumptions um, about how societies function. Uh, We have a lot of preconceived ideas, um, you know, uh, ethnocentric bias, as it were, uh, you know, the core concepts of gender and who's allowed to be in charge and, um, you know, how the economics work. uh, All of that, I really love to poke
1: at. Oh, my God. You are so in the right place.
0: Can I ask for a spoiler free
2: like example of that from one of your books? A place you poked. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, so in in the book that's coming up, I have this people that, well, the whole land has this sort of uh, issue where there were these god kings that used to be in charge. And they would um, modify the people that they ruled to kind of fit their ideals and standards, and this was this was a guy who really, really, really loved horses. So um, the idea was that uh, the, the Joratees people would be uh, very much kind of horse-centric people, um, down to even their coloring. And I had originally had this idea for that culture that ended up being very different from how they, they ended up being. Um, they ended up being sort of far more um, egalitarian and far more flexible on how they view gender than, than I had planned for, frankly. Um, they just took on a life of their own. Very cool. I I like to say that, I like to say that I, I've had character, you know, we've all had characters who try to like make their own way, try to, you know, defy you and, (laughs) um, rebel. This was the first time I ever had a culture do it.
1: Well, I just wanted to say, I love that you love challenging all your assumptions because that is such a, a big theme in everything we're always talking about here, about about whether you're ch- really choosing something or just assumed a thing because that's what you think the world looks like. And so the fact that that's one of your your big things you love means you're in the right place and amongst friends here.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, clearly. And you also have in our document of dot points here, uh, you've also mentioned that you flipped the maps upside down. Would you like to tell us about that as well? Because that's an assumption as well, with North being on the top. So the,
0: the main um, country that, that my story takes place in, it's, it's kind of all over the place, but the main one is this place called, this empire called Khor, and they're really, really super arrogant. Um, so I kind of loved the idea that they were so, they're on the southern continent, but are so... <laughs> arrogant that they they didn't want to be at the bottom of the map so at some point in the past they literally flipped all the maps in their country which they're powerful enough they've kind of been able to make it stick for everyone else as well so you know people like literally think the sun rises in the west and sets in the east (laughs) because because Coor is on the northern continent of course Coor is on the northern continent um it's at the top of the map must be yeah yeah that's cool and that
3: says so much about like geopolitics and international relations as well as like this one core thing of just the map like the map and the territory as it right exactly that presumption
1: that of course north is up that (laughs) is such a a eurocentric thing to begin with here on our maps so of course a southern continent empire is going to be like no south (laughs) is up that's just that's just how it goes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's such a good question of, like, where do you center a map? Like, even the map that we're working with, Jen, we're kind of building a world as we go. And, and one thing I was kind of thinking about was, like, how would each of our regions, the people there, like, how would they draw the map? Like, where would they center... Where's the middle of the map for them? And it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of a funny, you know, thing to, to poke at, looking at historical maps and even concurrent maps um, today. That like where you center the map says a lot about what you think. Oh yeah, about how the world works. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. The
1: map of our world that most of us are most commonly familiar with is based on the fact that it was a German mapmaker who made it, and it centers Germany in the map itself, and everything else is built off of that
0: yeah and, it, and it's fantastically inaccurate in a lot of respects yeah, yeah. no i i'm i'm fascinated by why it, that's part of the world building process right you know why what we choose to um like you said what we choose to center uh as our uh as it as what is important um says so much about our society yes for sure
3: um so Do you tend to do your world building first, or do you like start building the story and then build the world around it?
0: Oh, I I do a little bit of both. Um, So this this series of books is probably... uh, I I like to tell people that I've been working on it for 20 (laughs) years, but that's probably not accurate. It's probably closer to 30, 35 years at this point. I mean there's there's characters I created when I was a teenager oh, wow. that made it into this book. Oh, that is so cool.
1: Jen, you are my people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you know so it's it's that you know lecture that you got from parents or from teachers you know what are you ever going to do with this you know weird little story or weird little drawing you're doing well apparently years <laughs> later you're going to write a book about it never um, there's never
2: wasted work right like everything yeah. we file away like maybe this is going to resurface someday
0: percolate yeah, up percolate <laughs> someday yeah exactly it's all in
1: there in your head <laughs> yeah. fermenting
0: exactly um yep. so i usually start with uh i have done world building for other worlds and i usually start with uh some sort of fundamental points and uh pieces of information about the society and culture but then there will also be the things that uh develop as i go because just like using um the culture of jorad as an example uh as you you know as i write i'll always make discoveries Uh, and then that may morph and modify what i had
2: So I guess on that note of having like come up with things ahead of time and things work their way through, um, through the course of (laughs) drafting, um, how, how do we keep track of all of this work? Right? I mean, it's kind of fundamental. It's a lot of details. How do we organize all this stuff? So you don't want to fess up basic strategy systems. So for me, I am like real straightforward with it. Like
3: I don't do anything fancy. And I think at this point, um, like, I'm now getting to the point where I really need to think about doing a wiki or something, which is a little bit more cross-referenced and interlinking and so forth, just to make it a little bit easier on myself. Because uh, right now, all I have is, one, a world-building document, which is just a Word document with, like, blocks of text organized by... by. Uh, alphabetically by country uh, Jen I see the face that you're making yes I will come I will come to the dark side Jen I will follow your path so I have like all the the 90% of the uh, iceberg that's below the water and everything I know about them just like organize I mean and they're organized by topic like, Uh, values and morals and do they have a magic system and religion and relationships and so on and so forth uh and then i have a second document which is kind of my world building bible and that is everything that i have actually made canon on the page because i want to be able to know which things are locked in and set in stone and which things i can tweak if necessary that's so smart. Yeah. Uh and then I have a just like some rough material stuff. Like I have a spreadsheet that's just a bunch of place names that I sat down and brainstormed one day cuz that's my least favorite part is coming up with place names for things. So I did all of the unpleasant work in one day. Uh and now I never have to do it again. <laughs> that is admirable. <laughs> uh yeah, I think that's about it. That's Pretty simple and straightforward, but I need to kind of step up and and get more organized and tidy.
1: So one fascinating thing about what you're talking about is the idea of keeping separate the stuff that's truly locked in canon because it Mm -hmm. appeared in a book somewhere and the stuff that's below the surface iceberg stuff that you're allowing to be at least a little more of a Schrodinger's cat that until you put it in a book, it's not fully locked down, which is a very hard thing for me. Because the idea of it being this sort of nebulous thing that it's probably this, but it might not be this. Like, once I have it written down, especially in a document, like, to me, it's locked in.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, like I would say 90% of the time, once it's in the first document, I'm not going to change it. But I still, for my own peace of mind, just in case... I ever realize that I've painted myself into a corner somehow. I just want to have a clear delineation between like (laughs) what is actually locked down and what could be changed if I had to change it. Well, and I think I I ended
2: up kind of combining that idea of like, like the on the page Bible with my copy edit sheet that I got back from my copy editor, because she actually pointed out things that I hadn't like thought about as been like, Oh yeah. Like I called this food that, and like, yes, it's an actual real um, like, real-world food, but I should probably file away that, like, this is hand pies or pasties. That's that's what I did here. So I kind of ended mm-hmm. up combining some of that stuff. Like, it's literally on the page. Other people have confirmed it is on the page, and kind of, like, mush those two things together in some ways. What about you guys? What do you do? Marshall Ryan Moresca? Are you a spreadsheeter? Marshall Ryan
1: Moresca, first of all, has tons of spreadsheets, tons of maps, has made all sorts of maps using Photoshop, has full histories I uh, where A, for when I use Aeon Timeline, which is a beautiful program that I highly oh, recommend. Oh, yes,
2: I have a timeline as well. Sorry, go ahead. T- tell us more about that, Marsha Ray Moresca. What is Aeon Timeline and how do you use it?
1: Aeon it is a beautiful program that you can buy for, I think, like $15. It might be more than that, but it's a program that is designed to make a timeline so you can actually have it lay out for you. So, but it has a lot of wonderful features that is are very helpful to writers especially writers of fantasy because you can put in what the calendar is like it you can make a one that just uses our normal Earth calendar but you can make it be whatever calendar you want and it adapts to that Mm -hmm. so you can you can have your weird world that has like a 400 day year and and 13 months based on that or whatever you need it to be you can make the calendar follow that and you can like if say your history rather is like the years are broken up into like 15 dynasties you can have that all in there and it'll keep track of all that stuff and then you can have that link to people who are involved in events so then you can use it like link each event to the people and then look at the people and look at all the events that they're connected to and you can have timelines be as condensed as over the course of a few hours or millions of years whatever your particular need is so and also it will sync with Scrivener so your events can then be connected to scriptner events, so you can use it as like an outline tool of how the timeline of what you're writing. Like you can have each scene in your scriptner linked to a thing in your Aeon timeline. And it, that's a beautiful thing if if you're if you have the patience of playing with the metadata to, to make that work. If you have a large world with a complicated timeline of however many different nations or cultures doing each doing their own mm-hmm. thing separately, to, to keep that all together in a in a cohesive way.
3: That sounds fascinating, and I may have to
2: look that
1: up. You will love it, Alex. You will download it, and then we will not hear from you for weeks because <laughs> because yep, yep, that will just yep. be that will be your life now. <laughs>
3: Yeah, because right now, like, I have, I forgot to mention, I also have a timeline, and that's also just in a plain word document. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, like, like 10,000 years of world history, just, like, in a list.
1: Though I also, I... I have a spreadsheet also for the timeline, just so I- As you do. Because I wanted just to be able to look in a snapshot, the what I call the, the four-dimensional world build. So I have hmm. each major area of the world on my left-hand column, and then on the top, just broken down prehistory stuff, then first century, second century, based on you know, the calendar of Druthal. And then in each box, I just have like the barest description of like what's going on in that area at that time. So that mm-hmm. in a snapshot, I can see just the whole history of the world relatively quickly, where like in one area it goes from the hunter-gatherers to these different cultures to this nation and these other nations. Then there's an empire, then the empire falls apart, and then a different empire rises up or somebody invades. All that is just right there in a quick, easy, at-a-glance look, because I love spreadsheets.
0: Well, that's interesting. That's really interesting. I, I've never heard of anyone doing that approach to it before, but I can see how that would be really useful.
1: I can put a picture of it on, on our documents, and then it can be added to all the lovely material we share with our listeners, so they can be yes wowed or or afraid of what I do. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I I will put that up on our Tumblr. <laughs> um, so let's do Rowena next and then we'll end with the grand finale. Yes. Well, not, I mean, we're not ending the episode, but like <laughs> we'll end with Jen since Jen is like the, the highlight of the episode yes. here. No,
2: cause my, my methodology is definitely not highlight worthy. Um, like, like Alex, I have kind of word docs of, um, like series Bible sort of stuff that I keep track of that. Um, I actually, um, do with some pen and paper kind of stuff. There's a lot of sketches. There are a lot of, especially maps, and I have a bazillion different kinds of maps that I'll sketch out, because I'll have, like, the whole country map and the world map and, like, the city map and the, like, I need to figure out like how far is point A to point B? How many blocks? map, and I have like tactical maps for like battle kinds of situations. Um, but I also just kind of like just sketching things out. I think that's also just kind of a creative exercise as much as an organizational exercise. But then it becomes something that I keep track of later for organization. Um, another kind of I guess tech-based tool that I use. I actually use Pinterest quite a bit. Um, not just hmm. for mood boards um, mostly because the um, when I started doing torn um, a lot of it is based on like 18th century England and France and so I was like researching actual historical crap and then when I'd like find historical crap I'd want to like pinpoint it for later and I really like how with Pinterest you can you can get an image you can put the vitals in in um, In the description, so if the web page changes or, like, if you're looking at a museum piece, um, as long as you put the accession number, you know, in your description and you've got a picture of it, like, you have it forever, even if the museum, totally changes their website and the link changes. So I like that about Pinterest, but I can go back five years later and say, like, oh, okay, that was that particular jacket or that particular, you know, tankard I was looking at. Um, So Pinterest, dorky research tool. Have fun with
0: that. Yeah, no that that's that's awesome. Now Jen, regale us with your wiki. Yes. Oh gosh. Um no pressure. <laughs> uh you know, so I mean, it honestly it never even occurred to me not to use a wiki mm. to to accumulate. It just it just sort of seemed like um a, the a really obvious thing. I I certainly um by the time I I was actually writing a book this was an option. Um, there, there was a period of time where it would have been notes in a folder, but um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I just found wikis really useful. You could link different, um, you know, things to each other. You could, um, you, depending on the wiki program that you were using, you might be able to add all sorts of additional functionality to it. Um, set it up exactly the way you want it. Uh, I actually am, right now I am playing with, uh, with World Anvil. I did a, uh, I did an article for Tor.com on wikis. (laughs) So this is, this is not the first time I've talked about this. And somebody (laughs) in the comment section was like, why aren't you talking about World Anvil? And so I said, I've never even heard of World Anvil. Let me go (laughs) fix that. Um, And in some ways it is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, Theoretically, it's mostly for people to organize their tabletop role-playing games, mm-hmm. but it also is pitched as a thing that writers can use. And in a lot of respects, it's not as versatile as you know doing sort of your own homebrew, set up your wiki, you know, um, add your own stuff to it. But um, for a lot of writers who maybe don't want to be bothered with that. Um, who just want to plug in their information and go, Uh, World Anvil is really interesting. And World Anvil asks a lot of really good questions um, about your world and how it is set up. Uh, So it it is interesting from from this point of view where it might actually trigger you to answer certain things that you might not think of. Um, you know, like it may not have even occurred to you to question what the currency is like or, um, how the armies are set up, but, but these are things where there's like a, there's a box for that. There's a, there's a place to put that information. And it also does have the timeline functionality that you just talked about. Very similar to that. Um, so it's kind of like an all in one place kind of deal. I've, I've been having fun with it.
1: What I've seen looking at WordRentful myself is it. It's got a lot of neat things that are like already set up, so it struck me if, especially people who like aren't sure where the heck do I start, it gives you a good foundation of like here's some stuff you can start with because like, I know when I was early starting, I had to like basically make my own templates of cultural documents. And if there had, if I could find, if I at the time could have found something to be like, here's a template for you. Yes, exactly. I would have been exactly. like, oh, that's so much better. Thank you so much. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so World Anvil, from what I've seen, is a good, if you're not sure, like, how to get your feet wet on this, it is a good, like, it's it's a friendly hand that says, come this way. <laughs> yes. We can yes. help. Now, we'll, we'll help you in.
0: <laughs> it is not. Probably going to be free. My understanding is like the—I'm not using the free version of it—and my understanding is the free version um, is like your world would be public. And I know for a lot of authors, that's no—that's not a thing you would want. So um, I, I think a lot of a lot most authors would be looking at actually paying to use it. But it might be worth the investment. Um, it might be it might be a thing worth paying for or. You know, DokuWiki, a bunch of other wikis out there are um, as free as the cost of the mm-hmm. web space to host them. So I don't want to say those are the programs free, but where you put it is probably not going to be free. Um, so, so after that, let's see, uh, I use, um, I have an access database that my husband very uh, nicely set up for me that I use for um, all, tracking all of the conlings. that I use in my worlds, uh, which (laughs) I have a lot of those, Um, which, I mean, I got involved in conlangs primarily, constructed languages primarily because if I didn't, uh, my names for things all sounded like something. I mean, I
3: I minored (laughs) in linguistics (laughs) in college just on the off chance that I might have to construct a conlang one day. Like that was my that was my conscious but, choice I, at yeah. the time when i was 18. like i'm going to be a fantasy writer i need to know about linguistics i'm going to minor in this
0: yeah i i can't <laughs> fault your judgment honestly <laughs> so so that's that's kind of why i got into it um and then i also i use i don't use photoshop for my maps i use adobe illustrator for my maps um and I do that because uh, I like to be mm. able to edit. Um, and f- the fact that Photoshop is not vector based <laughs> bugs me. Um, I, you know, I'll I'll go through and I'll like take textures and things from Photoshop and put it pull it into Illustrator. But I tend to do all of my maps in Illustrator. Just so that I can edit it as I go. I know that's not normal. Most cartographers actually do stick with Photoshop, but I don't understand how.
3: And you did your own maps for your books, right? Yes, that's so cool. That's amazing. And you also did the, I think, the chapter illustrations? Yes. Wow.
0: Yes, I did the chapter illustrations. Although I didn't do those in Photoshop. Um, Well, actually, that's some of them. Book one I did in Photoshop, book two uh, I did in uh, Corel Painter. because I wanted those to have a different style to them. The, the, um, the maps are awesome from the standpoint. <laughs> um, doing my own maps mean that I get to use those maps wherever my books are published. Um, whereas if I, if I have to have somebody else do my maps, then um, chances are very good that the, the publisher probably hired somebody to do the map, which means the publisher actually owns the map. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I then sold those rights overseas to a different publisher, they would not get that map. Um, so it's, it's been very nice from sort of a consistency sake to, yeah. to always know that I'm going to be able to have the same maps for my world. That's a really interesting
3: point that I had not thought of.
1: I had not thought about that either. but. I'm glad now that I did all my own maps.
0: (laughs) My agent was so happy. (laughs) He was just thrilled when I told him I had my own maps. So, yeah. Um, And then the last thing I have is um, a a journal and, and pens. You know, I, I also uh, believe in doing regular writing. Uh, It's a, it engages a different part of the brain, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. e- and oftentimes I'm writing stuff down when I'm out in the field, you know, out in the <laughs> field. Um, observing humans and their natural habitat. When, when I'm away from, <laughs> yeah, um, when I'm away from, uh, well, you know, because it's, it's the anthropology, right? You're always observing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but But, uh, you know, I'm not always, I, I don't always have a computer or anything accessible, and I like to be able to write stuff down, so. Yeah, my my thing for a while before
2: my youngest became the, like the terror toddler, was to like just take a notebook to the playground with them because I'm like I get like half an hour to just sketch out ideas while you guys go and try to kill yourselves on the slides. And now she actually does, so I can't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, just like the stashing Aww. a notebook in the purse thing is is a pretty fantastic tool to have. Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: Recently, um, just in, on the topic of like technology, uh, I have replaced the notebook and pen in my purse with a folding bluetooth keyboard which has completely changed my life because you can sync it to your phone (laughs) and then you can type so it works the same as as a notebook except that you can type and it's faster and for me it's a little bit easier on my hands because my hands tend to cramp up if, if I'm writing longhand for a long time um the only downside to it is that you do have to have like a flat surface to rest the keyboard on but it was like 20 bucks and it was the best investment that I have gotten of my writing career so
2: far. Though um, I have to say, like like my my like park bench notebook writing is very different from my drafting writing. It's like a different kind of like time to go nuts and sketch something out and yeah. make some crazy, you know. Um, like web of things that connect to each other and try to think about it in a different way because I can get really stuck in that mode of kind of like linear writing. Even if you aren't writing beginning to the end, just linear sit down, write a sentence writing Mm -hmm. instead of like sketch out ideas and flesh out concepts. And let's just like play with words and ideas and see what happens writing. If that makes sense.
3: Yeah. I mean, and like pen and paper definitely uses a different part of your brain as Jen said.
1: And it makes total sense to me in the sense that, like when I'm writing by hand, then I'm I it'll, I allow myself to just be like these are just ideas. Whatever. Whereas there's a part of my brain that if I type it, it's real, and I mm, <laughs> I can't yeah, I yes. can't <laughs> short circuit that that particular thing that my brain does, which makes editing things so challenging.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say I don't. Um... I don't use the notebook for any um, actual creative book writing. I, I use it solely for world building, plotting, um, that side of things. Uh, you know, and, and it's an excuse also, it's an excuse to use my fountain pens.
3: That's true. Um,
0: true. This is important. <laughs> so
3: great conversation about like tools and, and tricks and, and technology. Um, let's get back to more of like the craft side of it. Uh, how much of what we do behind the scenes shows in the finished story? Man, like if we had to like give
2: percentages here, that's
3: rough. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was gonna say,
1: in terms of percentage, so very little shows up oh, in the yeah. finished story. I mean I've got I've got a full lineage of Druth Kings for twelve hundred years and then the <laughs> Imperial dynasties from the Cairn Empire that was, you know, occupying where Druthal is before that, none of that shows up. I mean, there's times where I'll make like an oblique reference to it, but I'm certainly not going to stop the book and start to tell you all about like, let's talk (laughs) about all the kings that ever lived, even though I've done that way. I mean, I have that for the Empire on the other side of the world, which we're not going there yeah Yeah. (laughs) The, the book is in is in one city we're not going over there but i have that i mean as our listeners will see when they look at my terrifying 4d world build document that i've put up that you know i have so much about the rest of the world that i needed to know because the idea of like Schrödinger's history just terrified me and maybe that's my own (laughs) mental problems right there but there's so much that doesn't need to be in there now of course before i wrote any of the the books that are out there i had the the trunk novel that is the i've done all the world building now i must show it to you while novel which thankfully i didn't get too far well it would have been a whole series that i didn't get too far in thankfully because i had already invested so much time and mental energy into the world build if i had done it in a book that should never see the light of day that would have been really terrifying but (laughs)
2: Well, I think that we've more than once circled back to the metaphor of the iceberg, um, even just in this episode mm-hmm. and before, and I think that's a really accurate way of thinking about, like, you just see a little bit and there's a whole chunk underneath, um, but I think the part that kind of get lost there is, like, you wouldn't see that little bit up top if there wasn't all that stuff underneath, supporting like, that yeah. mass and weight is holding that up and supporting it, and um, I think there are a lot of things that, as the writer, you know that the... Reader may never know the full extent of but they get little snippets of it or they see glimpses of it and it's it's that behind the scenes stuff that makes the world itself feel very rich and full and real Um, and I even think there's plenty of things that the characters don't even know like I have a couple references. In, in my book too the main character like she she didn't go to like formal school she doesn't know history so she's kind of like hashing out with these other countries like oh there's a civil war here i guess i think i remember hearing about that once and it's like i have notes like back in a notebook somewhere about the timeline of the like east and west seraph civil war that you know resulted in the division of these two countries and how they're different and she's like i think i heard of that once, maybe? Yeah. I think, yes. I, I remember
0: that, you know. It wasn't important. It didn't affect me. Right. And no, yeah,
2: it was, it was over there somewhere. Who cares?
3: Like, I heard about the sort of the iceberg theory, like, way back when I was a teenager and first sort of learning how to write fantasy books and, and do world building and so forth. And at the time, I was like, oh, wow, like, only putting 10% of your world building on the page, like, that seems like not much at all. And now I'm like, no, that seems like too much. Like, put 5% of your world building on the page. Less than that, if possible. Um, but, like, the, like, you said, Rowena, you have all of that stuff underneath that holds it up. Um, so, really, it's more like... You should explain as little of it as possible, I think, is is sort of my philosophy. Uh, And just trust the reader to understand things by implication. But of course, like my edit, this leads to things like my editor leaving margin comments saying like, please, can you explain this? So maybe I need to, (laughs) I think I may have overcompensated a little bit and I need to explain a few more things sometime. It's a difficult balance. Yeah, it's definitely a
1: it difficult is. balance. Well, and I think that's I think it's better to I mean, this is my own personal philosophy of that and it's clear you agree to to underdo it yeah. and then when your editors like, "Hey, what's this about?" You can you can expand that out a little bit more. Then you're like, "Okay, that's I'd much <laughs> rather have my editor tell me, "Hey, there's this bit that, that I'm intrigued and want to know more yeah. rather than, hey, there's this bit where you talked about cabbages for nine pages. Let's <laughs> cut that out. Tone
0: yeah. it down with the cabbages already. Yes. Yeah. Alexandra, I, th- I think our editors know each other though. So um, I too have, have heard the, uh, <laughs> could you maybe explain this a little bit more? This is shocking a to lot. me, Jen,
3: because your books are like 10,000 pages long. It yeah yeah you just and have
0: so a lot of things happening I, I do there's a lot there's a lot there it's a lot of <laughs> yeah. book yeah uh,
3: I mostly have a lot of feelings happening in my books rather than
0: like events <laughs> I I think too that if you if you don't have some of this stuff in there if you if you don't have that um, ice under the water that holds what you can see up it's to circle back to My comment about pushing assumptions—you are probably going to default to certain societal assumptions about your world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it might well just sort of be patriarchal because you didn't think of why it wouldn't be patriarchal. It it might be, um, you know, that last names end with son um, or or ton or any of those sorts of things because it, it just sounded right to your yeah. ears. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but certainly if you do the work, um, you have a lot more power to make your own choices in your story.
3: Yes, I mean, and this is sort of a philosophy that we have come back to several times over the podcast is choose versus presume. This is sort of like the the refrain that we keep coming back
2: to. Well, and I think it's interesting because, you know, any of those places that you push or poke. Or make an active choice for have a domino effect, and I think that's kind of where coming back to organization is pretty important. Because, you know, if you kind of push and poke a little bit and say, you know what, I'm not going to presume, for example, a patrilineal society. I'm going to assume a matrilineal society, and all of the property and titles are going through the the mother's side. And you don't keep track of that, like a hundred pages in you're making a choice in the plot that hinges on some element of culture that really doesn't make sense with that anymore. You have like names ending in son and you're like, well, why would you do that if really the mother's lineage is the one that matters or um, the way that, that betrothals or weddings might work? Like, well, why am I doing that when I already set up something very particular? So I think that having these kind of things, like not just making the choice and keeping it in your head, but as we're talking about keeping it in a spreadsheet or a template or a wiki or a whatever that you can kind of keep present and handy for yourself is a good check and a good way to kind of keep checking in on the authenticity and the cohesion of a world that you're building. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Marshall
3: Ride Moreska, you have put a dot point in here, and I don't know what you're talking about, why it's really important <laughs> not to mystery box. What do you mean by mystery box?
1: Okay, well, that, that was specifically in the reference to like, organizational work for laying ground for future books or even if you're just for outlining one book but it is i think it's especially key if you're doing longer series and all that so here the mystery box theory this is a thing that jj abrams has a whole ted talk about and it is a thing that gives me a bit of rage and several other writers that I've talked to about this also respond with rage. And
0: explains so much about J.J. Abrams.
1: So the idea of the mystery box, it's kind of a, it's kind of a misunderstanding of the MacGuffin where like a MacGuffin is a thing that drives the plot, but what it is doesn't matter. Like, and the classic thing, the that's really what it's supposed to be, that literally it doesn't matter, that you could, if it's, you know, a box of diamonds, but you could swap it out for a briefcase of money, or swap it out for, you know, a case of plutonium, that fundamentally the rest of the, of the story doesn't change, because all you need to know is this is a thing that people want, and the, the plot and everything doesn't necessarily change. The mystery box is thinks it's doing the same thing, except it's usually here's this thing that's really intriguing that I'm going to set up and the fact that it's intriguing, like say, who are Rey's parents in in Star Wars The Force Awakens? Or so many of the things about the island in Lost and I say that as a person who actually loved Lost all the way to the end, but that you raise these questions with no real sense of what the answer is going to be or that you yourself Don't actually think the answer is important, which is different from what this item actually is, is not important. Now, so when I say it's important not to mystery box, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to outline everything. But if you set up these things that like, here's this question of like, what happened to these people over here? or Why is this like this? Or why is there a monster on the island? You yourself should have a sense of what that answer should be and build everything based upon that. And if over the course of writing you'll be like, oh, wait a second, I have a much better idea, then of course you can use that. But you can usually tell when writers are just throwing cool, potentially unanswered questions as hooks and that they don't actually know the answers to. And that's that tends to be the core yeah. of what, what the mystery box ends up being. Yeah. And that's why I hate the mystery box and tell people, don't do that. <laughs>
3: So it's about, like, not leaving unnecessary red herrings for your reader because that can
0: break reader trust. No. Well, to a degree. Okay. It's about, it's about if you have something out there, if you have a dangled hook, you need to know the answer to it even if the reader doesn't necessarily know the answer to it. Okay. Um, because at some point, you may very well be called to answer that question. And if you haven't planned it out in advance, if you don't know what the answer is, you're, you're going to have an ending like lost. <laughs> you know, or, or, or any number of other examples that have happened where writers have um, developed something and clearly didn't know what the answer to their hooks were. They were just throwing out really cool hooks, um, really intriguing hooks. Um, and you know anytime you put something into a story because it's neat but not necessarily because you have a reason for it beyond the fact that it's neat mm-hmm. you run that risk
2: and i feel like if you're throwing out a lot of hooks you really have the potential for getting your lines tangled and like yes. you know the the cohesion of the story and the cohesion of the characters and the plot and even getting into the nitty-gritty, the cohesion of the world itself and the cultures, you start to bump heads and run things into each other and there's a weird bleed that happens where either things are very, very murky or there are sharp edges that are butting against each other and you're saying, wait, how is it that this culture both has an angry volcano god? um and they only worship the you know harvest goddess these things are not working why did i throw both these out there oh god tear my hair out now because i have just written myself into the box that cannot be unwritten sort of weirdness i could make that work <laughs> <laughs> sorry like
0: i immediately went like okay how would i make that <laughs> well it, it's not to say you can't make it work you yeah, know right, I, right. I have i have but you should definitely, think about it yeah yeah. yeah yeah i i have um I've done it, and, and every time I thought to myself, "Oh, you know, th- this doesn't matter. I don't really need to explain this." Uh, I, it, it always mattered. <laughs> it's always <laughs> mattered. <laughs> so, um, and and then you have to try to retcon an explanation, um, and of course, the thing that that you are denying yourself when you do that is the opportunity to see those kind of cool clues that a reader can look back later and say, "Oh, yeah." this was happening the entire time, you know, that's, that's, that's a missed opportunity. And so like with the, the world building
3: that I do, like since I have the whole world map laid out, it means that I can reference countries uh, like Marshall or Marshall Ryan Rescott. Sorry, I have to use your full name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like you have that, that empire on the other side of the world that your characters are never going to go to, but you can still reference it. And it helps make your world feel bigger uh, so I have cultures that I am just now starting to write books about, but I have mentioned them in my previous two books so that hopefully one day uh, a reader will read a bunch of my books and then go back to the early ones and say, oh, here's this, this culture, which is my favorite, which also got mentioned here where I didn't expect it to. Actually,
0: I, I have a really good example of this and it's from one of your books, Alexandra. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so in in uh, a chorus of lies, choir, which choir. choir saying yes. choir of lies. Damn it! It's okay. In in a choir of lies, which is coming out in September. Yes. right.
1: Pre-order okay. now.
0: Um, you have without spoilers. You have an event that happens in that book, which does not fully get explained, and. People comment on the fact that they cannot explain why it happened. People get really weirded out by this event because it is weird and it is unusual. Um, You know exactly what's going on. Your reader can sense that you know exactly what's going on. So we're going to stay with you through this story in a way that we might not have if, in fact, you were just making it all up as you went along.
3: Yes. Um, There's actually two. That is one big example that i would choose from a choir of lies there's another one which is so subtle that i don't think anyone would notice it um where a secondary character mentions the birth of the new princess in
0: arash oh i noticed that you noticed that <laughs> okay oh, <good>. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because way, oh but but uh, see but see i've I've kind of been lucky enough to read a book that not uh, everyone has yes. had the chance yes. to read yet. So, yes, So I and knew like... that that was a
3: tie-in. <laughs> and, and you are in a, a Slack chat with me and hear me regularly talk about the book I have just written, which is all about the birth of the new princess in Arash. Right,
1: right. I've been recently having this very beautiful experience in that a fan wiki of my books has, has been being worked on by, by a group of fans. <laughs> And like it is fancy. all I can do to
3: fancy man mushroom. It Ryan is all Marasko I can do for here. one
1: not Woo. to be like you know just geeking out over them like constantly. I refrain from doing anything resembling prodding at them to being like, hey, maybe 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 you could also you should do this or maybe. but instead, it is fascinating to see them grab onto those little things that I've done that I know are, are in fact, uh-huh. the hooks that are leading to future things and be like, I think this is a hook leading to a future thing. And I'm just like, yes, you're right. Shh. I'm not gonna talk. <laughs> you're so <laughs> smart. I, I not say it. I am geeking out delightfully <laughs> over over this and the seeing the little things that they're picking up on. And then in the process of building the wiki, finding further connections and be like, oh, wait a second. This is this and this and this. I think these four things are all connected to the same thing. And it, it's a joy. Oh, yeah. There's one bit where a character who is only minorly mentioned by name has not appeared, but minorly mentioned by name in one book, they're like, we need to make a page for this guy because I think this guy is a thing. which is like, yeah, that's actually going to be one of the major villains if the book comes out next year. <laughs> But nice. you shouldn't have picked up on that, but you did, and that's awesome.
2: <laughs> there is you know, there it, is no greater joy than a reader like
0: did I did I get this?
2: Yes,
1: smart.
0: you got it. <laughs> you <know? laughs> being smart and noticing your stuff, yeah, <laughs> that is the best. Oh, it's just the best. Yeah, and I, it never ceases to amaze me, right? The stuff that that you think will be obvious. And that is not obvious mm-hmm. and then the stuff that you think nobody's gonna catch this yep. ever and they pick on it pick up yep. on it immediately and it's you're like just oh, the best
3: i thought i was being really subtle <laughs> <laughs> no
1: to to go back just to like sort of organizational things and wikis and all that I, i'd like to ask jen yeah. if there's like five or six like main bullet points like for somebody who is trying to build like a a cultural document or a national document or something like that for the cultures they're building, like what are the big bullet points that they should hit as part of their document? What what are the big things you think you should always have?
0: I think they should always deal with fashion, cuisine, Mm. race, relationship with outside groups, Mm -hmm. relationships with other groups within their country because there will probably be more than one group in their country.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, oh gosh, I mean, it, as you guys know, it's it's a rabbit hole, right? It can just keep going. Yep. But, um, but I think, too, um, it's really, really helpful to uh, at least put some effort into language, uh, even if you're not actually creating a, a full-on conling yourself. Just understanding uh, how their language might sound how that might work is is helpful. I think.
1: On yes, sure. that last note, I have a, a thing for our listeners. I'm sure we're going to do an episode sometime in the future as a deep dive into conlanging. But if you're not ready for that yet, there is a beautiful tool called Vulgar. If you just look up Vulgar.com, I think it is. Oh, I
0: played with that. It's cool. It's it's not Vulgar.com. It's um I think it's Vulgar Vulgarlang.com. I have
1: it bookmarked? Of course you do. Yeah, it's vulgarlang.com. You're correct.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's lovely. It's a lovely
1: tool. You just click a button and it gives you a language and gives you the breakdown of the language. So it gives you the just bare bones tools to have something that will then at least sound consistent. And then you can have naming conventions that fit sounding consistent without having to Mm -hmm. learn linguistics and minor in it like Alex did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, And I will, if I can have one last kind of thought about the whole idea of documenting and and wikis and everything else like this, Um, I think a lot of writers kind of lose track of the idea or maybe just never even really understood the idea that when you're creating the world for a book, you're creating an IP. Mm-hmm. you're creating um, you're creating everything that goes with that book and that world and that has a value on its own that has a value apart from the book and I know that seems like a weird idea to a lot of people but the whole idea of say getting your book optioned if you're lucky enough actually having somebody you know do something with it they're probably not buying your book as much as they're buying your IP. Um, that's that's what they're really, really interested in. So the more you have that documented, uh, kind of the more the better it is for you on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. That, that's actually a valuable, um, it's a valuable resource.
3: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Just yes. in case anyone ever wants mm-hmm. to be a fancy person like fancy Jen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so just to end the episode, As we were doing this episode, I had a brilliant new idea uh, for a thing to ask our guest stars as we have them on the podcast now and in the future. Jen, if you have listened to the other episodes, I don't know if you have, um, we're building this fantasy world from the ground up right in front of your eyes. Um, So I would like to offer you the opportunity to contribute a small bit to the world, whether this is a place name or a piece of trivia about part of the world or a plant or an animal really
0: anything on any scale just like a a contribution okay so i'm going to offer you uh sari okay and uh sari are um these uh small cute kind of uh, monkey like animals that are kept as pets and they make adorable little squeaky noises um there's there's one part of the world in which they are super popular and kept as pet pets, there's another part of the world in which they are super popular and are a food animal Okay, okay. Um, okay. You know, obviously these are, these are things that are incompatible, everybody the other, one side thinks the other side's absolutely nuts for how they how they uh, view uh, Sari um, and uh, you know it's you give them little outfits and they're very cute that's wonderful. Or, I love
2: it. Or you cook them with gravy, apparently. Or you yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you, yeah, you cook them with gravy. Yeah, exactly.
0: Or
1: you put them in outfits and then cook them with gravy because then it's a whole. That is a bridge too so far. Beautiful.
3: That's too far. Too far, Marshall Ryan Moresca. It's a little bit weird. Let's have a whole other conversation about like the distinction between food animals and, and pets in a, in a different episode. I'm, I'm sure we will. We will, I am sure, in a future episode have that conversation. Jen Lyons, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute joy to have you on
0: the show. It was a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
3: Yes, and thank you for your wonderful contribution. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Worldbuilding for Masochists, and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Thanks again to Jen for joining us today, I know that I now have several new neat tools and programs that I have to research, because the only thing better than procrastinating on writing your book by doing worldbuilding is procrastinating on your worldbuilding by researching organizational tools, and we didn't even get to talk about our favorite colors of highlighters! If you haven't read Jen's books, definitely go check them out. The first one, Ruin of Kings, is available now, and I can confirm that it's pretty fucking badass. The next one, The Name of All Things, comes out in October, as Jen mentioned, so go pre-order that. And speaking of books, my second one, A Choir of Lies, came out last week. If you love world building, there is a lot of it in that book one more bit of news. Right now we're hosting the podcast's supplementary bonus materials such as maps and Marshall Ryan Moresca's cool spreadsheets on our Tumblr. So if you want to look at some images as you're listening, check them out at the URL worldbuildcast.tumblr.com slash tagged slash bonus hyphen materials. That's worldbuildcast.tumblr.com tagged bonus materials with slashes and hyphens as appropriate. (laughs) Anyway, our next episode goes up on September 18th. At long last, we're putting the fantasy in fantasy world building, and we're going to be talking about magic systems. Yes, We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions, or you just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We are on Twitter and Tumblr as at WorldBuildCast, as I mentioned, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. Here's your cool fact of the day. We talked about maps that center a particular part of the world. In medieval Europe, especially during the Crusades, they had quote-unquote maps that put Jerusalem at the center. They were more of an artistic representation of the world, though, rather than a map that you'd use for navigation.